You loved me through my good. You loved me through my bad. You loved me through my good. And you loved me through my bad, Jesus. You didn't erase my future because of my past. I'm glad you loved me through my good and my bad. Giving honor to who honor is due. I thank God that you are alive to tune in to yet another thirsty Bible group podcast. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time, the word or acronym thirsty stands for trust him in spite of, regardless, still trust Yahweh. So I thank you for joining us, as I said. And if you're listening to this for the very first time, you're welcome. Do come again. If you're listening to it the second or the third time or you're quite I'm already a member of the Thirsty Bible group. I want to say to you, hang on in there because the man who will meet you at the well will give you water and you will never thirst no more. Secondly, I want to also credit Moss with the song Good and Bad playing in the background of this podcast this week. Released on the 4th of May 2020. I'm excited about this series because we are starting to look at the book of Ruth as we rave up our engine of faith and step into a prayer season this time next month. It being halfway through the year 2020, we just want to acknowledge God for bringing us this far and thanking him for the season that he is going to take us to, the journey that we have started going into. This is your girl, Twila Grace. And we're just going to keep on reading the book of Ruth through the month of May. Before we start doing that on this very first Monday, the 4th of May 2020, let's bow our heads and say a prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would anoint my mouth, anoint my lips to be able to speak nothing but the uncompromised living word may the people that hear this podcast be blessed by it may they find courage may they find strength may they find clarity and direction wherever clarity and direction is lacking in the mighty name of jesus may this word bless my soul even as you use my mouth to speak in jesus mighty name i pray with thanksgiving in my heart believing it is done amen okay so we're gonna go straight into the word and read the book of ruth chapter one as i read through the whole scripture I'm going to come back and give you a few key words that I came across during my study. And after that, we're going to go back into Ruth chapter 1 and read it in relation to our lives today, where we are today. We want to be able to see us in this story. A bit like watching a movie and trying to figure out which character you play. So are you with me? Get your Bible, get your notepad, get your favorite drink, sit back, relax, put your feet up, 
and let's go into the word of God. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi and the name of his two sons Malon and Chilion. Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Marlon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the women, and the woman was left for her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. When therefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way and returned unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each, or each to her mother's house, and the Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons? Would ye tarry for them until they grew? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and also her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where 
thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do to me, and more also, if, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. I'll just let us take a deep breath. And now, why don't we dive in and just go back, press rewind, and look at some key words in that text. So the word famine in Ruth 1.1, I want you to think about it as a word that describes hunger for Jehovah's word. So there's famine in this particular land for the word of God. There's a famine for the word of God. There's hunger for the word of God. Pretty much like what's going on in our world today. People are searching for answers. They can't find them. People are looking for the word that they once away, once upon a time turned away, but they're looking for it. There's a famine. So the famine in Ruth 1.1 is talking about the scarcity of God's word. Bethlehem Judea, according to uh, the Hebrew translation, a root word for Bethlehem Judea, the meaning of it is that it's the house of bread, the house of food. Elimelech represents a place of food. Or rather, he represents a person coming from a place of bread, a place of food. The word Moab, a place, means of his father, father of an individual. The word Sir John in the King James Version re- reflects a place where somebody dwells where they live the name Elimelech means my God is king the name Naomi means my delight the name Mahlon means sick these are the Hebrew meanings of some of these names and phrases And I'm just highlighting them because we're going to go back very shortly 
so we can look at what this story really is telling us. What is the story really about? The name Chilion means falling or destruction or completion. The name Ifratite means fruitfulness. The name Orpah means gazelle. And if you go further into the research of the name Orpah, it derives from that which is the back of the neck or fleeing foe. The name Ruth means friendship and companion. The name Mara means bitterness. And now that we have all those keywords, let's go back and find out what God is saying to us today through Ruth chapter 1. So it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land there was a scarcity of God's word. There was an hunger for Jehovah's word. And which land is it? The land you are living in right now. Wherever you're listening from, that land is represented by that country where you're living from. I wonder, is there a scarcity of God's word, God's true doctrine, God's very pure, undefiled God's word in that land? Now let's find out which character you may be playing in this role and what God is saying to you and I today. A certain man of Bethlehem Judea, Bethlehem Judea meaning the house of bread, the house of food. A certain man of, the, of Bethlehem Judea went to sojourn in a country of Moab. So he left his house of bread, his house of food, and went to leave, live, he went to live in the house of his father, his father, father of individuals. He went to live in the house of individuals, a house maybe perhaps that is all about self, a house that is all about um, self and not community, a house of not sharing. He had, he had left the house of bread, the house of food, and went to a place called Moab, which is a house, a father of the individual, representing one individual as opposed to the whole community. And they continued there. And Elimelech, which we know means God is king, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. In the order of God's hierarchy or not hierarchy, but the family setup is that God is over at the top. The man as the head of the house right below God. And then you have the wife and the children. The husband representing some type of a covering. Just as God is the covering of the man, the man is the covering of the house. So we find that Elimelech, which means God is king, has died. He's gone to be with his king. Okay. So over this household, there is currently no covering because the covering that was sent to this house is now deceased. The only covering that there is, is God himself. 
God says in his word that he is the father to the fatherless. So if any children were under this household, they are being covered by God himself. But I want us to pay particular attention to what happens when there is no covering over the house. When the father figure is no longer there and there is a lack of knowledge that God is still the covering over that house. It says in verse 4, in verse 3, that when Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons, they took wives of the women of Moab. Moab was a place of self, a place of individualism, and not a place of community, not a place of fellowship, not a place where they had false gods with a small g. They were not worshipping Jehovah Jireh. They were not worshipping Yahweh. So Elimelech's sons, after he died, took the wives of these uh, this nation that did not really believe in Yahweh. That goes to show how much um, destruction a household can experience when there is no covering over the house. When the covering dies, when the covering is not present, there's a destruction that comes about the house so much so that the children within that house can start shaking hands, making deals, getting into marriages of um, marrying into things or marrying into uh, relationships that could bring destruction to the household. When Elimelech died, his sons took women of the Moab, of Moab as wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. We learned that the name Ruth means friendship, companion. And we, we learned that Orpah means the back of the neck or fleeing foe. You cannot see somebody's back of the neck unless they've turned their back on you. Unless they're telling you goodbye. Unless they're walking out of the door. So her name is her character. Her name is her character. I wonder what name you have called your day today. I wonder what name you have called this month. I wonder what name you have called your destiny. If you call your future an orpa, you will experience your future turning its back on you. But if you call your future a Ruth, if you call whatever substance you call, whatever substance you name it, that's the character it will begin to follow after. Call the things that you want to see into being. Don't speak the circumstance, but rather speak what you want to see it become. You loved me through my good. You me my they took them wives of the women of Moab and the name of one was Orpah, meaning back of the neck, meaning fleeing, fleeing foe. And the name of the other was Ruth, which represents friendship and companion. She's a ride or die. She will stay with you. She doesn't run when things go crazy. She stays right there. And they dwelt there about 10 years. 
Numbers mean a lot of things in scripture. For the sake of time, the number 10 represents a full circle. What that means is that despite the situations that they were going through, they came from a place which was described as Bethlehem, Judea, a place full of food and bread. They were of the Ephratite tribe, which means they were fruitful by nature. They were innately fruitful. It goes to show that your fruitfulness doesn't depend on your geographical location, but rather who you are, who you call yourself. You can be an Ephratite in Europe and you can be an Ephratite in Asia. You can be an Ephratite in Africa. Ephratite meaning fruitfulness. So it's not Europe that makes you an Ephratite, but you make Europe an Ephratite. It's not Africa that makes you an Ephratite, but you make Africa an Ephratite. Where you are, things will begin to be fruitful because you are there. Watch the words that you call your children. Watch the words that you call your day. Watch the words that you speak into your future. Speak what you want to see rather than the situation that you are seeing. And Marlon and Chilion died also, both of them and the women, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So we see that Naomi loses her husband and her sons. She's a widow and her sons are gone, and she's left with her two daughters-in-law. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord has visited his people in giving them bread so she was thinking of going back to this place that was known as the land of fruitfulness the house of bread it's no wonder God visited that place because that place was called the house of bread he is the bread of life. If you call your house the house of bread, perhaps God will stop over your house and begin to perform the things that you have been calling over your house. But if you call your house, house of Moab, where there's an individualistic kind of approach to life, God is interested in saving people, in blessing people. Yes, he's interested in the individual, but God is not about false, false idols. So I wonder, in this scripture, is God trying to show us to go back to the place of fruitfulness, the place where we declared that he is our bread, that he is our food. In verse 7, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah Naomi said to her daughters-in-law go return each to your mothers and let God deal with you kindly may the Lord grant you 
rest each of you in the house of your husbands to all the single women God desires you to have rest in your husband's house the Bible says that man should love his wife as Christ loved the church the Bible also says you that the punishment that should have been on me and you, you and I, you was put upon Christ so that we may be free. You didn't erase my the reason we can enjoy rest now because is because the punishment that should have made us restless has been put on Christ. Has been put on Christ on the cross so we should enjoy rest. The story of Ruth, ladies and gentlemen, is a story about Christ and the church. It's a love relationship between Christ and the church. A love relationship between the Father's love and every single individual listening to the sound of this podcast today. Naomi was blessing Ruth and Opah to go and find rest in the house houses of their husbands single women god desires for you to find rest in the relationships you're in god desires for you to find rest in the houses in which you will marry into because he has set an example of how christ loved the church the punishment that was meant to be on us was upon him so we could find rest but in as much as you will find rest in the houses of your husbands, may you also be the rest that he will need. The Bible in Proverbs talks about the husband fully trusting in the wife, fully bragging about her, believing in who she was, and he was at rest. So this means that as women, we're going to need to get to a place where all our anxieties we put them at the cross. Everything that causes you to be anxious, put it at the cross today. Because what that will do is it will allow the cross to carry the distress in exchange for you having peace. For the sake of time, I want to close or calm down by pointing out a few things in the remaining part of chapter 1 and what we have learned. There's a conversation that then happens between the daughter-in-laws with their mother-in-law where their mother-in-law is insisting that they go and they're all crying which basically shows how much of a relationship they had. But there's two types of people in the world. There are those that will cleave and there are those that will leave. The opers are the ones who leave because they show you the back of their necks. They are the ones who flee because their job is done in that place or your job in their lives is done and therefore there's nothing that they can reap from you and you cannot reap anything from them but it's more about them the opas will show you the back of their neck 
because they're on their way out. Whereas the roots are the friendships that you keep, the companionship that you keep, that will always be there. And these guys do not know how to walk out. I wonder if God is teaching us in this season to be the type of roots that will fall in love with him so much so that even if we do not get what we want from him we will still cleave to him when I read the part where Naomi paints a picture to her daughters-in-law and says look there are no more sons left in my womb even if I got married tonight, I would have to have sons tonight. Would you wait until they grew? I wonder if God is saying, even if I didn't give you what you are praying for, would you still stay with me? Would you cleave onto me? Now, God is never short of blessings. He will never say his womb is empty. He cannot give birth to the things that you're asking him to birth in your life. But the question still remains. If he never blessed you with the things that you so strongly desire. If he never blessed me with the things that I so strongly desire. Would I still cleave to him? Would I be a Ruth and and be his friend and companion? Would I stick with him on this journey? Or would I show him the back of my neck as I exit? God wants us to get into a place where we give the sacrificial type of love to our neighbors. Where we don't approach relationships around us in a manner that is of a Moabite kind of mentality. It's about the individual's satisfaction. I will cleave and stay with you if you do XYZ. If you perform XYZ. I wonder is God calling us into a season where we will love regardless of the love that we give not being reciprocated. Now, it's okay to get to a point where you have to leave because there's nothing there for you anymore. That's okay. But let it not be leaving because you didn't get what you wanted. Because that person didn't perform what they should have performed. Because unfortunately, we take the same attitude to God. And we fall out with God. We fall out of reading our word. We fall out of prayer because God didn't give us what we wanted when we wanted. So I wonder if God is saying to someone in this season, as he was saying to me, if I never gave you the things that you desired, would you still cling or would you leave? I also want to skip all the way down to the part where Naomi has now entered Bethlehem, Judea with Ruth. Of course, Orpah has left. 
she's carried on with her life started seeing another man perhaps got married settled down we never know what happened to Oprah but we do know what happened to Ruth you see God I saw this and I saw how God rewards those who stay to the end stay to the end of course you've got to ask you've got to ask God for clarity what it is that he wants you to stay in and what it is that he wants you to get out of it's not everything that God wants you to stay in but in a lot of the times you see Job was blessed with a double portion he stayed to the very end Elijah Elisha was blessed with Elijah's double portion because he stayed to the very end I wonder are we a generation that is quick to leave when we don't get what we want at the time we think we need it are we gonna stay till the very end like Job did like Ruth did like Elisha did and our greatest example of all time Jesus Christ was obedient even to death and look at what happened and Ruth and Naomi were back in this Bethlehem Judea which represents the house of bread or the house of food and people are welcoming Naomi calling her Naomi which means my delight the Bible says delight yourself in the Lord and he will fill in the dots he will provide for you he will delight in you he will direct your path he will light up your path but Naomi's response is much like our response when life hits us hard when the wind blows and the rain comes and circumstances happen we begin to refuse the true identity which God has given us God calls you my delight and you start calling yourself bitterness Mara means bitterness this is not to downplay the things that Naomi had been through she had just lost her husband of God knows how many years she had lost two sons in a short space of time she migrated to a different country in the hope of having a wonderful life but came back empty those are her words this is her account of the events that had happened so she has every right to be bitter if there is such a thing but you see she had just lost her husband and her two sons and felt very hopeless in that moment i wonder is this podcast caught you at the point in your life when you feel hopeless when you feel that life didn't turn out the way you planned when you feel that things were robbed from you blessings were robbed from you or all that stuff that we sometimes claim and say but it's a process you see it's a process to show you who you are are you Ruth who will cling to this God who is your provision who is your house of bread or will you leave and show him the back of your neck 
because he's taken your husband away because he's taken your covering that you thought was your main covering away as i said this is not to downplay any of these situations because when life does hit it does hit but the choice still remains with will you cleave or will you leave God is saying to us go back to the house of bread go back to the house of food what did i name you what name did i give you if i called you my delight you do not have to call yourself bitterness you may have experienced bitterness but that does not mean that's your name you might have experienced disappointment but that is not your name you may have experienced anguish trouble but that is not your name go back to the name god gave you prophesy that speak that over your life the one thing that strikes me about naomi is when people recognize her as naomi she recognizes herself as Mara. And you see, there's nothing that they could say to her that would comfort her soul and her spirit and encourage her to go back to the name that God originally gave her until she got rid of the frustrations of her own heart, until she got rid of the pain that was in her own heart. Sometimes we get easily wound up by what people tell us or what people say or how they respond to us not because they're saying anything wrong but because we carry bitterness within our hearts from what has happened in the past so i wonder as we go forward as we rave up the engine of faith to pray certain prayers and believe God to be our house of bread and provision for the rest of this year and in the months to come for the rest of our lives is God saying to us get rid of your bitterness because when people call you my delight you won't even recognize that in yourself why because you have called yourself bitterness rather than the name that I originally gave you in conclusion to this podcast this week i want you to know this in spite of what naomi thought about herself in that moment god was so faithful to have led her back to where she had come from right at the beginning of the harvest so god will lead you and i at the beginning of the harvest season as we approach the middle of this year despite the loss that we may have suffered in the first 6 months of this season covid having put things on hold for most people as a family as a company as a nation even on an individual level i want you to know that you are stepping in a season of the beginning of your harvest therefore you will reap a hundredfold 
you will not miss your harvest. God has strategically put you on this journey so that after all is said and done, if you just hang on in there and become a Ruth in the midst of the chaos, you will enter a season that speaks of your harvest. You won't walk into that season halfway or towards the end, but rather you will be right there at the very beginning of the harvest season. Enjoy the rest of your week. And if you'd like to join us for the live Bible study at Thirsty Bible Group, then please write me an email at thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com. That's thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com. Thank you all for tuning in. And if at all you have found this podcast helpful, then I encourage you to share it because somebody else might just find it as helpful as you did. See you next week, Monday, as we go into Ruth chapter 2. God bless. I'm your host, We run away from you. Bring shame to your name. But your love remains. Hello and welcome back to Thirsty Bible Group Podcast. This is your girl, Twila Grace, your host. I am so glad that you have decided to click play. Ooh, mouthful. <laughs> I'm, decided, I'm glad that you have decided to click play on this podcast. This is the podcast relating to Ruth chapter 3. In the month of May, we have been looking at the book of Ruth. And those of you who have been listening may have heard chapters 1, the chapter 2 podcast, and this is now chapter 3. And I'm excited to go into this because there's so much wealth and meat to build on. And uh, so far, I mean, the word of God is pure. It's amazing from Genesis to Revelation, but particularly in the book of Ruth, I must admit that the book of Ruth chapter three is the part where God really ministered to me personally. And out of the three chapters we've covered in Ruth so far, Chapter three is my favorite because I just feel like God was just showing me things um, that I could personally relate to. So I'm excited to share those things with you because I believe at Thirsty, there are so many women who come to draw water from the well and some of us come out at odd times of the day so that we don't bump into situations. But God is waiting at the well. Jesus is waiting at the well to give us water so we thirst no more. And I really feel that chapter three of Ruth was my woman at the well moment. So I'm excited once again to share this with you. If you are listening to this podcast for the very first time or you are a regular, may I encourage you to send me an email at thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com. That's first 
thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com. You may also wish to uh, send me a WhatsApp on plus four four seven four five six nine five zero zero eight one. That's our ministry um, line and email address. So you may want to join our prayer group and Bible study group because we meet every Monday of the week and every Friday for prayers. So why don't you do that? Drop in an email at thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com or send a WhatsApp message to plus four four seven four five six nine five zero zero eight one. Let us know how the messages on this podcast are blessing you or if at all you would want to join the Thirsty Bible Group. But without further ado, I'm going to say grab your favorite drink, position yourself, grab your Bible, your pen and notepad, and let's bow our heads before we go into the Word and ask God to open our eyes and hearts and ears so that we may hear what the Holy Spirit has to say today. Father, we thank you for this day once again. Thank you for bringing manna from heaven. Thank you for bringing a fresh word. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's strong enough, Heavenly Father, to pierce through the tissues of life, to pierce through the hurt and the pain, to pierce through the hearts of men and women, edifying the body, edifying your vessel. So God, as we go into Ruth chapter three today, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you gather all the Ruths around the world who need to hear this as they are in their process, as they are in the field toiling and working on themselves, working and picking up all the pieces that God, you will bring all the Ruths from across the world, that they would learn from you what it is that you want them to learn, that they would be encouraged just as you encourage me. And I thank you, God, in Jesus name for every woman gathered to hear this podcast today. Bless them, bless them and bless them indeed. In Jesus mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you've got your Bible, notepad and pen and your favorite drink because we are going to dive straight in. This week, I want to do something slightly different. If you've listened to the first and second podcast of the book of Ruth, um, I would have read through the whole chapter of Ruth chapter one, read through the whole chapter of Ruth chapter two. We are now Ruth chapter three. And by this time, I I trust... By this time, (laughs) I trust that you would have heard and listened to the message and also picked up your Bible and independently read through the book of Ruth chapter 3. So we're just going to dive in to the specific verses that I believe need highlighting and shedding a little bit more light in regards to what we're talking about today. So the topic of today is entitled prepare and position yourself. One thing I want to make very clear, absolutely clear from the get-go is I learned, I always, always thought, and you might be, I'm speaking to the Ruths as I'm speaking today. I'm speaking to the Ruths. And when I say the Ruths, like I said in chapter two, in podcast two of this series, um, 
when we refer to you as Ruth, so when I refer to you as a Ruth, please understand I'm not talking about your biological birth name. I'm talking about you as a Ruth in character. What we are learning about this woman, her character, what is it about her character that keeps her moving forward? So today in Ruth 3, I'm I'm talking to the Ruths of this generation. I'm talking to the Ruths of this moment. If you can identify yourself as a Ruth based on what you have read about this woman, then you will relate to exactly what we're diving into today, which is to prepare and position yourself. There are some oppers who have walked away, but I'm talking to the Ruths who stick around and keep going forward. Now, I always thought that harvest time was a time to relax. It's not until I read through the book of Ruth chapter three, that God started to show me that harvest time is actually one of the seasons that you will most likely work a lot more than when you were plowing the land, than when you were planting the seed. Because in those seasons, You have a moment to pause. You have a moment to get out there, till the land, make sure that you prepare the ground. You allow it to be wet through rain or you sprinkle it with water with your horse pipe. You go back in the house, you prepare the land. You get back in with your grain and, you know, the seed and you spread it out. You go back in, wait for it to grow. So there's moments of working and rest as you go through that process. But when harvest season comes, that's the season when one needs to work twice as much in order to catch up with time. Time is against you in harvest season. And the reason is being that you ought to really preserve the things that you have worked so hard for in the previous months, least they rot, least they stay out there for too long. The sun burns them too long. It depends on exactly what it is you've been growing. And I want to share a piece of wisdom before we actually go into the word that relates to what we're talking about today, which is prepare and position. I uh, was speaking to one of an amazing woman who God has sent in my life, and I like to call her Auntie Tally. And she taught me about how when you are harvesting things like strawberries, those things are more likely to rot quicker. So what you want to do is go strawberry picking as quickly as you can. Make your strawberry juice, make your strawberry pie, make your whatever it is that you intended to make from the raw ingredient. You need to go out there, harvest it and make it quick. Because the longer you take in picking up those strawberries, the longer they stay out there, they become mushy and they become, they be, they begin to rot. In comparison to maize, for example, every African person that might be listening to this knows exactly what I mean when I give maize as an example, which is an example that Antintali gave. She was talking about how maize never goes to spoil. Really, when maize gets dry, you can put it out there and, you know, let it dry out in the sun. You can, you know, grind it, use it as maize meal and make shima or pap, whatever you call it, from whichever African country you're from. 
And some of us like porridge made from maize, or you can eat it from the cob as it is fresh, boil it, roast it, whatever, various ways of preparing it. So you see, there are some things that we grow in our field that can last long out there as we are harvesting, but some of them like strawberries are so delicate that we really need to be putting in double the amount of work in our season of harvest. So a season of harvest requires you to prepare and to position yourself. You cannot give birth to something if you aren't positioned in the birthing position. You have to birth your, you have to put, put yourself in a birthing position in order for you to get into birthing that thing in that season. So I encourage you to read the book of Ruth chapter three. If you haven't, pause this podcast, go back and read the book of Ruth and make sure that you listen to the first two podcasts because only then will you understand where we're going with this and what it means for your life. A few key words that uh, stood out to me in the book of Ruth as I read it were the words rest. And when I looked it up, it goes on to talk about rest means to settle down. When the Bible talks about maidens, those of you who are reading from the King James, this is an old English term to mean female servant. The remnant refers to uh, the wrapper, the mantle, the covering, the garment that you are going to be wearing. And I just need you to write in your notebook when we talk about the garment that you're wearing. We're talking about the garment that is described in Ephesians chapter 6. The barley is something that represents roughness that needs to go onto the threshing floor for smoothing. Washing, whenever the word talks about washing, it's talking about really reading the word to cause it to wash you over. The word of God is a cleansing agent. So when we read the book of Ruth, we find the word washing where Naomi is telling Ruth to go and wash herself. The Holy Spirit is represented by Naomi is what we learned in chapter two and Ruth is representing you and I. So could it be that the Holy Spirit is saying, go and wash yourself, go and read the word of God as a part of you preparing and positioning yourself for the harvest season that's going to come. The interesting word I also came across finally as a key word in Ruth chapter three was the word winnowing. When you look at the winnowing process and you Google it, you will find that they, uh, they, they, the terminology winnowing is an agricultural method that was developed by ancient cultures that helps to separate the grain from the straw. It's also used um, to remove pests from the stored grain. So this is all part of your preserving that which you have harvested from your hard work. And winnowing usually follows the threshing in the grain preparation. And that's exactly what we see the book of Ruth telling us. The story is set that it's harvest season. So as we go into this word today, ladies, I want you to understand that some of us, if you are, I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, that if you are listening to this podcast, you are listening to it by divine appointment. I remember before I clicked record, 
I had to bow my head and pray. And I asked God to send women from around the world who would listen to this particular podcast that needed to listen to it. I asked God to open or use my mouth to speak that message that he knew the women he was sending needed to listen to even five years from now. So I truly believe that whatever is going to come out of me right now is a message intended for you who is listening in this very moment. It's also a message intended for me as the vessel that God is using. The winnowing process we find out in chapter three is talking about a process of separation from the grain, uh, separating the grain from its straw and also removing what is a pest from the stored grain. I wonder, is God calling you? Has God ordered you to press play on this particular podcast because you have now entered your harvest season or you are about to enter your harvest season, you are at the blinking mouth uh, or the edge of the harvest season. Uh, I don't know what blinking mouth is, but it sounds pretty good. You're at the mouth or at the verge of your harvest season and God wants you to pay attention as to how you prepare and position yourself. So in verse 2, of Ruth chapter three, the Bible says, this is us. Now we're going straight into looking at what it means for us to prepare and position ourselves. Ruth chapter three, verse uh, two. And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maiden thou wast behold the winner with barley. Behold, he winner with barley tonight in the threshing floor. I just wanted to talk to the women, the Ruths who are um, preparing for their harvest season. Whatever you are harvesting, it could be a new business. It could be a new job. It could be a new relationship. Your harvest season, the things that you have been sowing all along and now you're about to reap. Ruth is being told by Naomi, being um, encouraged to look a certain direction in the direction of Boaz and saying in verse one, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said unto her, my daughter, shall I not find rest that it may be well with thee? Perhaps we should start there because we looked at the word rest, meaning to settle down. I'm talking to you, Ruth, now, the Ruth of today. Where is it in your life that you are finding restlessness? That place, that place, yes. The place in which you just thought about this very moment and you thought, God, I'm anxious in that place. I'm restless in that place. That place is the place where God wants you to have a harvest, He wants you to experience a mighty harvest in that place that you are presently and currently feeling anxious and restless about. And he's drawing your attention to that place because he wants you to prepare so that how you handle yourself in that area will be different from how you handled yourself in the past. 
that you've been putting in some work towards harvesting in that area. But for some reason, you might still be anxious about it. And God is saying, it's time now to find rest, a home of rest, a place of rest. If you've been anxious about job security, it's now time to find rest. If you've been anxious about when getting married, when you get married, how you get, who you get married to, it's now time to find rest. It's now time to position and prepare because your job is coming. Your marriage is coming. Your child is coming. You will give birth one day, Sarah. You will give birth one day, Hannah. You will get married one day, uh, Ruth. You will find a job one day, Ruth. You will find a field where you can go and glean in. So it's harvest time, Ruth. It's harvest time. When we progress on to verse 2, the Bible is talking about Naomi saying, Now, in relation to your rest, my daughter Ruth, isn't Boaz our kindred with whose maiden thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley on the threshing floor tonight. Two things I want to point out here. The Holy Spirit will always give you um, direction. And when he gives you direction, that direction is not something that he will say you must do. I believe because God has given us free will, he also gives us options. So we see Naomi here pointing Ruth towards a, a man who is surrounded by other women, surrounded by other maidens, which means he has choices. He has options. And we later on get to find out because of what Boaz said to Ruth, we find out that she too had options. She had choices. Okay, so what God is going to bring you this season, you, the Ruth of today, who is looking for meaningful relationship, God is going to bring you in a place and to a place where there are options. But your choice and his choice is what will hold you together. So I just wanted to, to stop there for a moment and encourage every woman to say, when you are um, seeing a young man or he, a young man is seeing you or you're about to start seeing each other, do not get anxious. Don't get restless when there are other women around him and neither should he get anxious or restless when you are beautiful and there are other men around you. Because what brings you both together is the fact that you have options and have chosen each other regardless of who is available and who is around you. The fact that he doesn't choose you when he has other options around him is not a flaw that you have. The fact that you don't choose him when there are other options around you is not a flaw that he has because we all have choices and we choose what it is that we choose. Just as we see 
with Boaz and uh, Ruth as the story unfolds. Now, this th- what I've just said is in relation to relationships. Now, I know um, there's a difference between, you know, God guarding your heart and telling you, well, this is going on and be careful, guard your heart. This person might not be as genuine as they seem or, you know, vice versa. There's a difference there. But what we're talking about is when you now start chasing the man, when you, Ruth, start chasing Boaz, you you were never called to chase him. You might have been called to mark where he's sitting so that you can sit at his feet and he would spot you and recognize you, but you were never called to go and chase after him. There's nothing wrong with Ruth sitting at his feet of Boaz until she gets recognized, not say a word until she gets recognized, but there is everything wrong with having to chase Boaz who is chasing the options around him but yet decides that he wants you he's got to decide that he wants you without chasing the options around him in as much as you've got to decide i want to stay at his feet and not uh, go with the options that are around me so that's just a little nugget for anyone out there who might be in a sticky situation um to end this thought my my um word of encouragement to any Ruth is watch watch the boas that you're looking at don't watch the women around because the women will always be there even when you get married they will always be there watch the decision that your boas makes will he choose you or will he choose the options he has around him and if he does that's okay it just goes to show that perhaps that was not your boas and it gives an opportunity for god to bring about and bring you about into another season where you would harvest and find uh, a field that you can work in that Boaz will say, whose damsel is that? And that will be in your direction. I'm hoping that that is making uh, some sense to someone. Um, in In verse three is where we see that the preparation has now started. Naomi says to Ruth, wash thyself therefore and anoint thyself and put on the remnant upon thee and get thee down to the floor. This is talking about the washing, the anointing and the putting on some clothes is talking about preparation. Getting to the floor is talking about positioning. I wonder, is Naomi saying to you, Ruth of today? I wonder, is the Holy Spirit saying to you, the woman listening to this podcast, go and wash yourself. And as I mentioned earlier, Washing represents reading the word of God. Let the word of God be your healing agent that heals you from all the pain of the past, puts you together as you are in this field gleaning with purpose. Wash yourself. Anointing. Anointing represents consecration. It basically means uh, consecration. Setting yourself apart. Setting yourself apart. I want to draw your attention to uh, Matthew chapter 25. In the book of Matthew chapter 25, we see the story of the 10 virgins. And I want to use this story to highlight what anointing 
means for us as Ruths in this generation, as we prepare ourselves for the harvest season that God is bringing us into. In Matthew 25, we see the story of the 10 virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. Virginity in our society is something that people will pride on in the sense of I've never slept with another man, I've never been undefiled, and, and it's such a beautiful thing to, um, to, to look to. Even the Bible encourages it because it talks about no sex before marriage. But what about the woman who is now beginning to be a Ruth who cannot testify to the fact that she's a virgin in the physical uh, sense of the word? What about that woman? Are we just going to discard her? No, we're going to talk about Matthew 25 and see that in this story, the fact that 10 of them were virgins was not the thing that God wants to draw our attention to in this particular moment. He also wants to tell us that these 10 virgins each had a lamp. The lamp is the word of God. If we quickly switch to Psalms 119, verse 105, we see that David says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we see that these 10 virgins were undefiled because they had the word of God, which is their lamp that they carried with them. But what made five of these wise, five of these foolish was one thing, the oil. And as we have learned, the oil represents consecration, being set apart. So it is my belief that the 10 virgins, their, uh, their, their ability to carry the lamp, which is the word of God, really speaks about some of the women and some of the men and some of the people as a whole in the church today there are some people who are carrying the word of god which is the lamp but there are those of us who are going the extra mile by carrying the oil and the oil means being set apart being consecrated so you're not living your life how the world says you should live your life in your spare time you're reading the bible you're not just carrying it you're reading it to the extent where it's now beginning beginning to govern how you live your life it's beginning to d show you direction it's it's not just the words on a page called the Bible, but it's actually being engraved on your heart. You're looking at it like you're doing now. You're studying the book of Ruth and you're saying, what does this mean to me? How does this, um, how does this reflect in my life? If I was the character in the Bible right now, if I was Ruth right now, how would my story unfold? What would be some of the things that I would need to change and adjust? that's when you begin to buy the oil you buy the oil by assessing your life how you live the things that you've learned from your brokenness maybe from the things that from the things that have happened to you from where you're coming from 
from how you're handling your life in the present and where you're going in the future. All of these aspects are causing you to buy the oil, to separate yourself from how the the other five virgins who are called foolish because they didn't go through this process and therefore they did not obtain the oil. And what we find out is that the foolish virgins now start borrowing oil. There are some things, ladies, that you can borrow. You can borrow shoes, you can borrow an out fit, but you cannot borrow character. You cannot say to your friend, can I borrow your character for a hot minute so I can impress my Boaz? If you're going to impress your Boaz, you're going to have to work on you so that you you can impress him when he does come. Because in Matthew 25, we see that Boaz did come. Christ did come. The bridegroom did come at midnight. Midnight being the hour between yesterday and today. So I wonder when you are asleep in the midnight hour, if your blessings should come, if your harvest season started at midnight, would you be prepared? Would you be a virgin? Would you have carried the lamp? Would you have carried the word? Would you have bought the oil enough to burn through the night, enough to burn in the morning, enough to burn until your harvest comes? Or would you be the type who was asking the other to say, can I buy, can I grab some from you? So going back to the book of Ruth, we're talking about preparing and positioning. And as we see in three, verse three, Naomi is telling Ruth to wash herself, basically in the word, anoint herself, set herself apart. Boaz was surrounded by other women, but Ruth was not like all the other women Boaz was surrounded by. You see, the thing is when Boaz is ready, he will choose Ruth. But when Boaz isn't ready, he may choose the other women around him. The other women, the 10 virgins in Matthew 25, which we just looked at, they all hang around together. They were in the same place. Matter of fact, some of them looked like each other. Uh, if Boaz came, he might have dated one person that looked like the other and vice versa. But you see, when Boaz is ready, he looks at the oil. What oil is she carrying? Does she have oil in her lamp? Does she have oil in her lamp? In Matthew 25, when the bridegroom came, he took the five wives who had the oil and shut the door. When the other five came by, after they'd returned from buying the oil, they found the door was shut and they couldn't be allowed in. When Boaz saw Ruth, it was the oil. It was the process of preparation that she had been through that made him question people around him. Who is that damsel? Whose damsel is she? So I'm speaking to Ruth of today. Are you prepared for what God has for you in this season? As we move on in um, verse 3, the other part of verse 3 is where Naomi points out that Boaz was going to be uh, winnowing the grain that night. When I reached this part, I had to do a little bit of research and ask myself, God, why would Naomi ask Ruth to go and get washed, get anoint herself and get a, a beautiful garment on for a process such as the winnowing process 
which when you look up, if you, I encourage you to go on YouTube and just type in the winnowing process. It's such a messy process in the sense that the grain gets beat up on this, um, in this type of a floor and the grain is put in this basket and when the the person holding the basket kind of throws the grain up in the air the, the what what that process is designed to do is the wind will blow away the straw which is the lighter part of the whole thing the whole process it blows away the straw which is like the shell of the wheat and so because the wind blows away the lighter part, the heavier part, the part with substance goes back into the tray. And this heavier part, the part that has substance is what we now eat. This is the wheat. So I wonder whether that's also a metaphor for the season of harvest, as I said in the beginning, is a season where you're working even twice as much because there's so many layers and so many processes to allow for the the harvest to happen for you to reap what you've been working on when the wind comes when the wind of life when the trials of life comes it will blow away people in your life who are light that that love to walk away when the going gets tough that's what the wind is designed to do. So be grateful in this season, my dear Ruth. If you're going through a season where you feel like life is beating you up, stop asking why me. It might just be that God is harvesting you. God has sent the wind that will expose the straw of your life, those who represent the straw, the things that represent the straw of your harvest, those things will be blown away. They will walk away. They will say goodbye. I'm walking out. I'm going. Those things will die. Those things will cease because their season in your life has ended. They did what they were supposed to do. And it's harvest time. So only the thing that weighs more than the straw only the things that have substance will remain where you are so i was wondering why naomi had to ask ruth to go and get washed when she walks into this place and she's washed and anointed she's washed and she's got body lotion on the straw is only going to stick to her and mess her up and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, the winnowing process, the process of separating the grain from the snow is not something you can do without having washed and anointed yourself. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, what an amazing thing because being able to separate the straw from the grain, you're going to need some discernment. You're going to need your eyes to be open so that you don't cry when the straw gets blown away and the wheat is what stays with you. The things that have substance remain with you. You're going to need open eyes and an open ear and an open heart unto God. And that's why you need to be washed in the word, anointed by separating yourself as you study the word so that you can get nuggets like what we are talking about on this podcast today. Many times I've read the book of Ruth 
in my whole Christian life as a child. And I never saw it like this. But I, I thank God that this is what God was pointing to me personally. And my season that I've been in to prepare me for my harvest. And I, I trust God that if you are listening to this message as a Ruth, that God will bless you in the same way. He will show you the areas where he's blowing away the straws of your life. He's taking the things that represent the straw. And as we read earlier, that the, the, the winnowing process not only removes or separates the grain from the straw, but it also removes pests from the stored grain. What a blessing. It doesn't end there. The, the seed, the substance now has to go through the crushing in order to prepare the grain. It's, it goes through onto the threshing floor. And that's the event that was happening that Naomi was saying to Ruth, this is what's going on. Go and position yourself where such a process is happening. But in order for you to position yourself in such a process, you need to have been processed yourself. You need to have gone through your own preparation so that you can understand that process when you get there. I just want to say, Father, bless every woman listening to this podcast that may be relating to this because you have sent them here. And I pray that you would open their eyes to see where it is that they need washing of the word, where it is in their lives that they need to be anointing themselves by buying the oil right now, and where it is that they need to position themselves for the blessing that you have for them, because I know that you will surely, surely bless them in Jesus' name. In verse 5, um, Naomi points out to Naomi, uh, Naomi points out to Ruth that when she does this and goes and position herself at his feet without making herself known that she's there, Naomi says to Ruth, he will tell you what to do. Don't go and announce that I'm here, she says. He will tell you what to do. After he's finished eating and drinking, when Jesus met with the disciples, he was sharing with them bread and water. He will tell you what to do when he finishes eating and drinking. You see, ladies, as you are going through the process of washing yourself, anointing yourself, putting on the perfect garment of righteousness in Ephesians 6, the full armor of God, whilst other women may be bragging that they're wearing Louis Vuitton and Gucci and all the other designers in the physical, but nothing in the spiritual sense. You can brag about wearing these designer clothes physically, but in the spiritual, please, please brag about the fact that you are wearing a designer clothing called the full armor of God. Go through the book of Ephesians 6 because it describes it from head to toe, head to toe, what it means. One day, I think I'm going to do a podcast on the book of Ephesians 6 and what the full armor of God garment looks like for us ladies. What does it mean? But this is the garment that Ruth is now wearing. And I wonder, are you wearing your garment today? Have you anointed yourself and have you washed yourself? Because when you go through that process, only when you go through that process, will God allow you to meet the Boaz who will now have also gone through his own process of preparation. 
So thank you for staying tuned to this Thirsty Bible Group podcast with myself, Twila Grace, as your host. In part one of um, Ruth chapter three, we have been looking at the topic, which is prepare and position yourself. So in the previous part in, of um, Ruth chapter three of prepare and position yourself, we have already looked at Naomi's advice to Ruth to go and wash herself, anoint herself and position herself after putting on a beautiful garment. You notice I gave you uh, Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18 is the focus. 10 to 18 describes the type of garment. I remember asking God, what type of garment should I prepare? If I am a Ruth of this generation and the Holy Spirit represented by Naomi is telling me to go and wash myself in the word, to anoint myself by studying the word of God and buying the oil that way, what kind of garment are you asking me to wear? Should I look beyond Louis Vuitton? Should I look beyond uh, Twila's Turf? Should I look beyond all the amazing designers that there are out there? And he reminded me of Ephesians 6, which talks about the full armor of God, which is the garment that Ruth was wearing. Uh, this is the, the garment that every Ruth of this generation is demanded to wear should they wish to succeed in life. And I use the word demand because success will require you to do a few things that otherwise other foolish um, virgins are not doing. If you are going to be known as a wise virgin, and we're not talking about virginity in the physical sense, although that's really important and congratulations and thank God for the women who can say that I am a virgin, i.e. I've not been defiled and I've not allowed myself to sleep with another man. I'm waiting on my husband. Thank God for all of those women. But I'm talking beyond, I'm talking to those women, but I'm also talking to the women who may have been defiled out of a way that um, you know, they, they may have found themselves in compromising situations or they ha may have put themselves in those compromising situations, but have repented. The Bible says that the, the prodigal son came to his senses. Repentance is all about changing your mind because of what you have seen along your way, along your journey. So really the, the, the critique here is not so much that uh, um, whether or not you have put yourself in those compromising situations. The, 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 the thing that is being um, brought to your attention as a Ruth of this generation is having traveled the journey you have thus far. What is it that you have seen? What is it that God is opening your eyes to that is going to cause you to have a repentant heart? What is it? What is that one area that perhaps nobody knows about that God is calling you to say, I need you to prepare and position yourself away from this journey and into a different pathway so that I can prepare prepare the harvest that I have for you so that I can prepare you for your harvest. 
Ephesians 6 chapter 10 verse 18 is talking about the full armor of God. I want to just point out the key points, but please read it in your own time. It talks about the loins, gird your loins with the truth. The Bible says that when you bring up a child in the way of the Lord, he shall grow up and will not depart from that truth. If the truth is what covers your loins, your loins are where you have your seed as a man. The loins is where your seed is, your future generation. It talks about not just you, but God is interested in your generation to come, in those that will come out of you, in the Isaacs that you will birth. The children of the promise must be girded by the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is a person called Jesus. Cover your loins with the truth. It's no wonder why Bible is for not sleeping around, making sure that you wait for the person that you will marry before you can get uh, intimate with them because that births about children. And if your children are birthed in truth, both physically and spiritually, imagine what kind of individuals we're creating. Imagine what kind of impact those individuals will have in a family unit, in a community and in a nation. So when the Bible describes the kind of garment that you as a woman of today, you as the Ruth of this generation, thank God for the Ruth of the Bible who set an example, but I'm talking about you as a Ruth, me as a Ruth of this generation. What type of garment is the Bible describing in Ephesians 6? It's talking about our loins, our productive system, both spiritually and physically being girded by the truth. So much so that the truth will guard our generation. It will guard those things that we birth into the future. The other thing it mentioned is the breastplate of righteousness. The Bible says that he who commits uh, sexual sin commits sin against his own body. In the book of Solomon, in the book of songs, it talks about how the man shall be, uh, shall, the husband, the husband being, um, being uh, satisfied by her her bosom resting the head on her on her bosom so when you're talking about that type of intimacy it's no wonder that you know the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate of righteousness righteousness covering your breastplate that's where you're being able as a woman to feed your child whether you are breastfeeding or bottle feeding but let's not go into the scientific or what is best and what is not because that's not the topic for today. I'm just intrigued that there are so many uh, similarities that the Bible makes into our everyday living to the what it's trying to say to us spiritually. So the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness will come when you guard your body and do not sin against your physical self as a temple of the Lord. And in doing so, your loins are being girded by truth. It talks about the feet prepared for the gospel of peace. Those who travel the nations, who travel the world, let it be via social media, even in this lockdown season. 
What message are you passing across? The feet walking always represents the gospel, always represents ministry. Your feet are a vehicle um, as to what you are spreading. Where are you going? Where are you where are you placing your feet? Where are you walking into? Are you you are you walking in the direction that God is asking you to walk in in this time, in this season, as a Ruth of this generation? It says above all, have the shield of uh, faith, have above all, have the faith shield. Faith is the one thing that moves God. Faith is the one thing that makes you see, wow, that person trusts me. I must not let them down. I must fulfill the words that I said I would do. You see, when you respect the, the whole notion of faith, you understand that it's not easy to find people who will have faith in you. Therefore, when you find people that have faith in you, you better live to your word. You better live to the things that you don't be the type of person that says something. And as soon as there is nothing in it for you, you walk away. That's the opas of this generation. But again, I'm not trying to downplay opa because that's okay too. Perhaps it's just that she didn't have the capacity to have the companion, the true friendship that stays, the true friendship that says your God will be my God. Your people will be my people and therefore stay till the end. Have the faith shield. When God sees that you have put your full armor on, including the faith shield, that faith shield is designed to protect you against all the fiery dots of the enemy. Just because you've got your loins guarded with truth, you've got the breastplate on, and your feet represent gospel ministry, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that the enemy won't attack. If anything, it brings you under a light. He's your under a spotlight and he can see you just as he saw Job and went back to report to God. It's only because you've put an edge of protection around him. I can't get in. I can't get have, I can't have access. So you see the garment that we're talking about that Naomi was saying to Ruth, go get washed, go get anointed and put on a garment, put on a covering, the remnant. It's talking about this garment of truth, the full armor of God, which includes the faith shield to protect you from the dots of the enemy. And then it talks about the head on the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation. When we look at how God and his principles work, he is the head of the home, the head of the man. The man is the head of the wife and the wife, uh, the head of the children. That's the hierarchy. God, the head, then the husband, the husband is then under Christ and the wife under, under God. And the wife and the family are under under the husband. So the helmet of salvation, salvation being a man called Jesus Christ, put on Jesus Christ. Let him be the one that renews your mind. Let him be the one who governs your thinking, your thought process. That's why he must be on your head. Oh, dear Ruth of this year, 2020. Oh, dear Ruth, who is about to position herself for what God has for her. Make sure you have Ephesians 6, 10, 18 garment all over you because that's the only way that your outfit will be complete. After you have washed yourself in the word and know the importance of these 
elements that Ephesians 6, 10, 18 mentions. After you have bought the word, which is the anointing that will allow you to burn the lamp. It fuels the lamp. It helps you then put on this garment and going back to our root uh, scripture reading for this podcast This is Ruth chapter 3 verse 3 where Naomi has given the advice to Ruth what she must do. And then she says, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And I touched on this in part one of prepare and position yourself where I said the man has to respectively go through his own process of preparation and positioning. If you disturb the process of preparation and positioning for the man or the woman, you will disturb what God has for the both of them coming together. This is something that I had learned because the eating and the drinking also talks about the word of God. Jesus broke the bread and shared it with his disciples and said, here, eat. Eat and do this in remembrance of me. This bread is representing my body. The bread represents the word of God. The body represents the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. As this man is eating, he is eating the word of God in his own space. As your Boaz is eating, he is eating the word of God in his own space that God has provided for him as part of his preparation and positioning process. While you are bathing and and being anointed and getting dressed up to meet your Boaz. The other thing that Boaz is doing simultaneously to what you are doing is he's drinking the word of God. He is drinking. Jesus um, shared the cup and said, drink this, my blood. And this is also representing what we do at Thirsty, where we say the woman comes to draw water with a bucket from the well. But Jesus said, if you knew who was asking you for a, a glass of water, you would ask me because I could give you water so that you thirst no more. You see, Ruth, I'm speaking to you as God is preparing your Boaz, as he is giving him the word to eat and drink so that he may be hungry and thirst no more so that he will not have unrealistic expectations. When he meets you, he is also preparing you so that you you may be washed in the word, you may be anointed in the word, and that you may be finding a garment to wear in the word so that when you meet him, you will not have unrealistic expectations of him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Naomi, the Holy Spirit, Naomi, who represents the Holy Spirit, shall I say, in verse three, is really sharing with us what is happening for those of us ladies who are waiting on a God-given marriage. That first of all, you as a Ruth have to prepare yourself. And in the, in the same time as you are doing that, as God begins to order your steps, you will, you may even know who your husband is before he knows. 
He may, he may not even recognize that that's Ruth, but you recognize that that's Boaz. Don't make yourself known unto him until he finishes eating and drinking. What does that say in the context of relationships? Could it be possible that perhaps as Ruth, your preparation for marriage will be uh, done and complete before Boaz's preparation and uh, for marriage is complete? I'm not saying that's always the case, but in this case, we see that perhaps Ruth finished getting washed up, dressed up and anointed and was already in position to take what belonged to her, to harvest that which she was preparing for while Boaz was still in the process of eating and drinking. She had to wait on him. She had to wait on him in the same sense that the church is waiting for her groom, which is Christ, who is preparing a place for us so that where he is, we may be also. This is what is happening even right now. We are waiting on Christ, our bridegroom. Sometimes in the physical sense, the woman gets ready more quicker than the man does. Sometimes this brings frustration when the woman expectations are that the man gets ready at the same time, but there is a simultaneous preparation and positioning. It, it all just comes down to how long the process takes them each when God finishes dealing with both of them. So I'm encouraging the Ruth of today that Look at the area where you are frustrated in life right now. It could be an indication of God, where God wants you to find rest. It could also be a place where God is trying to prepare you because he will definitely give you the desires of your heart. He will answer your prayers. As a matter of fact, the fact that you played the um, part one and part two of this podcast to me is an answer that God has already answered your prayer. He wants to give you what you are asking him for more eagerly than you are to ask for it. But the question is, are you prepared? Are you positioned for receiving the season that God is bringing you into? In verse five, he will tell you what you should do. We looked at how things work in kingdom, God, the husband, the wife, and the children. If your Boaz hasn't finished eating and drinking, ladies and gentlemen, if your Boaz has not completed the process of preparation and positioning that has been ordered unto him by God, there's no way he will be able to tell you what to do. He will be just as confused as any other general Tom, Dick, and Harry. He will just be as confused as any regular guy. He will have to complete his process of eating and drinking before he will know what to do. Before he can tell you what to do. Because he will get that information from Jesus Christ who is the head of the home. Who is the head of the church. Who is the head of kingdom. But in order for him to hear God clearly and even obey him because there's sometimes that perhaps 
Our obedience hasn't been made complete. So we hear God, but we decide to go the complete opposite direction because we have seen that perhaps what God is leading us into, what God is saying is ours, is a little bit too hard or somehow there's a a conflict between God and us. But when our obedience has been made perfect, we make statements such as, I've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. I know what I'm doing. This is my profession. But nevertheless, because you asked, I will cast my net. That's when your obedience has been made perfect. We make statements such as, Lord, let this cup pass by me. But nevertheless, let your will come to pass. That's when your obedience has been made perfect. When you can state what you really want to happen. But because God has asked you to go the complete direction, opposite direction to what you would have chosen by default, you choose his way because you realize that his ways are better than your ways, that his ways are higher than your ways, that his ways are greater, far greater than your ways. And he does it for our good. So when we realize that when we finish our process of preparing and positioning, simultaneously God is preparing and positioning our Boaz and we don't interrupt that process. When he is finished with his stuff, he will be in a position to hear God more clearly where he should lead his household. There will be no confusion. Oh, confusion will be sent. People will come and say, well, there's nobody in your household or in your generation that has been called by the name John. Why are you calling your son John? Why don't you name him after his grandfather? Why don't you name him? But you see, when you are doing things by the leading of the Holy Spirit and you're doing things by the leading of the voice of God that you have heard very clearly, People will not stop talking into your life, but you will still choose what God said because you have finished your process of preparation and positioning. A good indication that you have not completed your process of preparation and positioning, whether you are a man or woman, is when you have heard God's clear instructions, but you still choose to go the other way. And God is so faithful that he's not going to twist your arm because he's given you your own will, your choice. He surrounds you by choice to make your choice from the choices. He will give you advice on what is good for you, but he will surround you by choice so that you can make your decision in the same way that several animals came before Adam and he called them their names. And it's not until God said, let us make a suitable helpmate for him because it's not good that he should be alone and when God created the suitable helpmate didn't give him an introduction this is the best thing for you just presented him just as he presented the other animals and Adam was able to say bone of my bone flesh of my flesh why is that that's because he went into a deep sleep And had finished his process of preparation and positioning. He was awakened after his process of preparation and positioning. And only then was he able to identify what he should pursue. What he must go for. And he was able to give instruction. In the same way, Boaz was able to give instruction to Ruth what she must do. Because they had both gone through their individual process of preparation and positioning.
So we step into verses six and seven and she went down onto the floor. So we can already see that the positioning has started. Never position yourself before you finish the preparation. I remember my uh, spiritual dad, one of my spiritual dads, Pastor Adams Mulilo is always talking about character is what will keep you. And actually his famous saying is, um, I hope I say it right because I know he will be listening to this at some point. He always says a character, a charisma without character always births catastrophe, catastrophe, catastrophe. <laughs> I can't even say the word, but he always says charisma without character will always birth catastrophe. It will create chaos. If you go into positioning before you can be prepared, Father, in Jesus name, I pray for myself included that you would prepare every woman listening to this podcast, prepare them in such a way that they will be able to be fully prepared for what you want them to possess in Jesus name. So in uh, chapter verse six of chapter three in the book of Ruth, Ruth goes down to the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law obeyed her. We have already established that Naomi, who was Ruth's mother-in-law, represents the Holy Spirit. Has your obedience been finalized? Are you completely obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Are you doing everything he has asked you to do? When you get to the floor, when you get to the White House, when you get to the high place, when you get to the place where you have been praying and working and asking God to get you to, when you get to that place, oh dear Ruth, my question to you is, will you do everything God had prepared you to do before you get there? Or will you forget the God of your preparation? Will you get there and do your own thing? When you meet your Boaz, will you do everything that God prepared you to do? Will you be the Ruth in his life that God prepared you to be? Will you pray and hold things out in prayer? Will you seek God for guidance? Will you do everything that your Holy Spirit guardian angel, the Holy Spirit has asked you to do? Or will you go about your own business? Ruth did everything that her mother-in-law asked her to do. And it says in seven, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lay down at the end of the heap of corn. Ruth, I'm talking to you once more. Your Boaz is never going to be satisfied by, by your beauty. He's never going to have a merry heart because you can keep a man. All these statements are what the world tells us. So when we reflect back on Matthew 25, where you have 10 women, five are foolish and five are wise, be the wise that will understand that it's not you who is going to have the power to keep a man, but a man has to have power within himself to keep himself within that relationship, within that marriage. There are things that you have power to do. For example, increase your knowledge so that you would be able to perform better on your job, perform. But when it comes to interrelational skills, you also can improve on how you say things, do things, think things, 
But I just want to highlight in the context of relationship, because this podcast is aimed at the roots of this generation. Please don't be fooled by the thought or the notion that you are going from a broken relationship to a broken relationship to a broken relationship and there's something wrong with you. Baby girl, there is nothing wrong with you as long as you keep on growing, as long as you keep on buying your oil and put it in your lamp, keep reading the word and keep growing. Because we see here that Boaz had finished eating and drinking and his heart was merry. The heart of man can only be satisfied when he finishes eating and drinking the word of God. The heart of a woman can only truly be satisfied when she finishes eating and drinking the word of God. Do we ever finish eating and drinking the word of God? No. But the point here that he's being driven is that what was put on Boaz's plate wasn't a beautiful woman with thick lips and thick thighs and a beautiful face and waistline hair and dark skin or brown skin, whatever you fancy all of that stuff is great praise the lord if you have all those features but none of that has ever been able to keep a marriage none of that has ever been able to keep a relationship none of that has been able to keep a single person happy or a single person happy or married or divorced person happy the only thing that can ever make your heart merry is by you eating and drinking the word of god so i pray that even as we look into the aspect of relationships choose to hook yourself or equally yoke yourself with a Boaz who has been through his own separate transition of moving from a place of not being prepared to being prepared to from eating and drinking the word of God in his own space without no interruption, without no dating, without no rebounds, without no substitute for what really matters, which is the word of God. Hook yourself to such a person, uh, but before you even begin to look for this uh, link up, may you become that. Eat and drinking the word of God. Let your heart be merry because you've eaten and drunk of him. In verse 8, and it came to pass at midnight. There's a time in your life and my life that will be midnight. Midnight represents, I was listening to a message on YouTube by Mr. T, um, who is obviously an actor, bodybuilder, bodyguard from back in the days in the uh, A-team. And I realized that he's got such a powerful calling on him. And he talked very extensively about the midnight hour, gave scriptural references to the midnight hour and some of these cartoons and fantasy stories that that have also depicted the, the power of the midnight hour. Um, and you can always search it out and, 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 and have a little uh, listen to that because it was such a powerful thing. But I noticed that it's in the midnight hour that the man was afraid and turned himself, the man being Boaz. 
Midnight hour brings about the place of fear because it's the hour that you have been praying every time during the day and the morning and the night. And that might, might be a metaphor for praying for so many years. God, when is this going to come to pass? When will I see a change? But in the midnight hour is the bridge between your yesterday and your today. The midnight hour is the bridge between the time you were plowing the ground and putting the seed in and watering it and the time of harvest. So the midnight hour always comes to you and I. It's an hour where fear comes to those who are not prepared. They don't know what's coming to them. Boaz was not expecting a woman to be laying at his feet. He was afraid when he turned himself. But do you think Ruth was afraid? She wasn't afraid because she had prepared herself and positioned herself for such a time as this. Some of us are going to be met in this season by our Boaz who will not be expecting us to be where we are, but God has strategically positioned us. And when we are found in those places, let it not be known that you are fearful because fear is a, an indication that you are not prepared. I believe the foolish virgins in Matthew 25 when they heard the call at midnight, notice it also happened at midnight. When the call happened at midnight, the groom is coming. They were fearful because they realized, oops, I don't have enough oil. And frantically, they started searching for oil, asking for their neighbors. But you see, Sometimes you as a Christian don't have to lend things all the time. You've got to choose. You cannot, you can't lend somebody oil. The oil represents your character. You cannot, there are some things you cannot borrow. You cannot borrow character. You can't pretend to be something that you're not for too long. It's only a matter of time. If you have a wandering eye, it's only a matter of time before you're caught out with a wandering eye. You, you cannot pretend to be faithful. Faithfulness is a character that needs to be built over time. Nobody is born with faithfulness. If we were all born with faithfulness, then the Bible wouldn't say human beings are, 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 are born f- with, with they're, they've fallen short and need to come to Christ. So th- that's, let's put aside, I'm not good enough. Nobody ever starts off good enough. We all just work towards that mark. And so we see that he turns because he was afraid at midnight. He, ne- he never was expecting to find anyone there. And Ruth says, it's me. Spread thy skirt over thine handmaid. For thou art a near kinsman. What a beautiful conversation. What a beautiful conversation. She wants him to cover her. How could he have enough covering for a woman such as this if he himself hadn't put himself under the covering which is God? You see, Boaz can only cover you, Ruth, when he has finished eating and drinking and is resting in the Lord. He's resting at the end of the heap of corn. In Psalms, the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me besides the still waters and he restores my soul. You see, 
when you are eating and drinking of the word of God, he will lead you into prosperity by the still waters. He will cause you to sleep in the midst of chaos. Jesus Christ was asleep on the boat when the disciples were screaming out, don't you care? We're going to die. We're going to perish. The first word we looked at in Ruth 3 was rest. We're talking about finding you rest as a Ruth of today. Finding me rest as Ruth of today. Finding the Boaz of today rest. Where he can eat and drink and fall asleep because his heart is merry at the end of the heap of corn. When God got ready to create Eve a suitable helpmate for Adam, he put Adam to sleep. There's something beautiful when a man goes to sleep. God is working on him. Don't wake him up. Don't disturb him. What sleep may come in various different forms for different people. So perhaps you already know what time it is. You've washed, you've anointed, you've got the garment on, you've positioned yourself. You may be in that position for a year, for a few months, for two years. Keep positioning yourself. Don't leave your spot because Boaz will surely finish eating and drinking. He will be merry and he will fall asleep. And a midnight hour is coming when he will turn and find his queen right there saying, it's time for you to cover me. And he will be prepared to cover because he's finished learning how to cover under the almighty God, who is the ultimate covering of us all. I loved how Boaz prophesied to Ruth in verse 10. He says, blessed, blessed are thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followed not young men, whether poor or rich. I love that because I remember a very wise man telling me that a woman is always looking for a father in her husband. And it's interesting that Boaz, who is later going to marry Ruth, is referring to Ruth as his daughter. He's already accepted responsibility over her. Ooh, he's already accepted responsibility over her. In his accepting responsibility over her, he, re he recognizes that this young, beautiful woman, I'm paraphrasing, beautiful, thick thighs, all the things that a man would ever want, the description, the physical aspects that people look at in the world today. This woman could have gone with a younger man than himself. Meaning that he recognized that she had options, but he respected her choice to come and lay at his feet. You see, sometimes you might miss your beautiful God-given opportunity because you never recognized that when that opportunity came to you, it was out of choice. When that job opportunity came to you, it was out of choice. When that job interview came to you, it was out of choice. When that woman walked over to lay at your feet, it was out of choice and not desperation. I think pride stops us from seeing when the man uh, who had the two sons gave 
the son his share who said give me my share i want to go that son failed to see that he had access to all these things without having to leave his father's house but he failed to see that because of pride when he came back to his senses he's he returned and actually wanted to have access to those things from a servant level he dropped himself low Boaz here recognizes that this beautiful woman came and lay at his feet out of choice leaving all the young men around her whether they were rich or poor the fact that and he, he must have been an older man you know i've heard things that uh were said to me how oftentimes there is a culture especially in the african culture how when a woman is past a certain age particularly the age of 30 their damaged goods perhaps boaz was saying look i realize that i am past 30 as a man you are young in your prime however old she was you could have chosen a fellow younger person but you came to me i am considered in my community as damaged goods by this time everybody's wondering you have so many women around you why have you not married and people are looking at me all funny people are saying well you are well educated you've got a, a qualification in this how come you cannot get a job but he recognizes that when that perfect job came when that perfect opportunity came he recognizes that that could have gone to anybody else but the fact that you chose me and on this ladies i'm speaking to my fellow ruths i remember um the holy spirit sharing with me that it's so important that the man who chooses you has options around him before he chooses you because if he chooses you with the options around him and you get married and you choose him even though you have options when you get married those options will still follow in fact more will be added but the beauty is that you will both have walked into that marriage with a character of choosing each other against all odds So never ever ever be disappointed when out of the many choices you are not picked because all that matters all that shows is how there is a a lack of acknowledgement of your sacrifices or perhaps there is an acknowledgement of your sacrifices but you are just not the suitable helpmate so or you are not suitable for that job role whatever it is that represents what it is god is pointing you to as you hear this podcast but i'm grateful for this opportunity where boaz recognizes look you could have chosen somebody else but you came to me in the same way that naomi helped ruth sh- uh, earlier to say boaz is surrounded by other women but then he chose her still To end this podcast I'm going to skip to verses 15 and then we'll read 17 and 18 and I'll share my last thoughts. In verses 15 it says and also he he said 
Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it to her. And she went into the city. Now, this is after Ruth and Boaz have the conversation um, where they're laying down Ruth at his feet. And in the morning, uh, she arises before anyone can get up. and um, And he tells her, to spread her veil so that he can basically give her a gift because he didn't want her to go home empty-handed. Let me tell you, when you are met by your Boaz who has finished his own process of preparation and positioning, God will give you such a man that will not send you home heartbroken. He will not send you back home empty-handed. He will not have made more withdrawals out of you than he would have deposits. And we can see this because Boaz is saying, spread your veil so that he measured six uh, measures of barley. The number six represents man. On the sixth day, God created man. The number six represents the fullness that man has to offer without the presence of God. On the seventh day, God had rested. The six represents man. Boaz was giving Ruth the best that he can offer her as a man. Six measures of barley, not being sent home empty-handed. If your man sends you home empty-handed, and I'm not talking about being your sugar daddy, buying you this, buying you that, but you will know when the person that you are with sends you home empty-handed. Remember that the man, the woman, as a woman, as a Ruth, you are looking for covering. As a man, as Boaz, he ought to identify you as his daughter. Is this person that you are with right now, those of you who are in a relationship, is this person right now big enough? Has he got a big enough capacity to spread his skirt over you, to be your covering? Has he got enough in himself to pour into you six measures, the fullness of what he can give you? Can he give himself fully to you? So, so much so that God will come in and complete the whole process and make it go into the seven and the eight and the nine and the ten. Is he sending you home heartbroken with tears? What story are you going back home to tell your folk? Because in 17... Uh, in 16, when she went back to her mother-in-law, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law was surprised of the measure of gifts, the fullness, the countenance on her face she returned with was much better, brighter and greater than that which she had left the house with that morning. May God bring father figures of husbands in your life and my life as the Ruths of this generation. May we be prepared to the point where we are well washed, well anointed and well dressed, well positioned to be able to ask for covering in 
from the right persons in the name of Jesus. 17, and she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said unto me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. Somewhere in the world today, is a Boaz for you, Ruth, who is listening to this message. Who knows, maybe Boaz might also be listening to this message for her Ruth, for his Ruth. But all I know is the Holy Spirit, like Naomi, is telling most of us women to sit still. The world is waiting for you to react. Oh my goodness, she is heartbroken. I wonder what she's going to say now. I wonder what kind of heartbroken song she's going to sing. The Holy Spirit, like Naomi, is telling you, shut up, sit still, sit still. When you are active here, there, you miss a lot of important information. Sit still. You ever seen people who go people watching? Sometimes people watching is the best thing you can do for yourself because you get to learn behaviors, patterns. As I conclude the book of Ruth chapter 3 on preparing and positioning, and as you notice, we had part 1 and 2 because there was so much to cover. As I said, this was my very favorite part of the book because God just gave me nuggets that helped me in my personal life. And I didn't want to keep them to myself because I know that there are several people in this situation right now. Several women in this situation. And I speak very heavily on relationships, I suppose, because it's very dear to me in this season. This is the season where I will see my harvest in this season, in this area. But I also realize that there are other areas that other women are needing God to answer their prayers, to help them prepare and position. For some, it may be childbearing. For some, it may be just buying a house or finding a rental apartment or a car or a job or maybe spiritual growth or just having a peace of mind, a sense of oneness and not be divided within oneself and one minute waking up happy, one minute sad. Like I say, reevaluate your life and see the area that brings you the most anxiety. The area that brings you the most anxiety could be the area God is saying, rest in me. Be still until you see how the matter will end. Your Boaz will not have peace or rest until he finishes what God has showed him he needs to finish. And that's not a curse. That's just how it is. Kings don't sleep when they're restless. They have to honor who they need to honor. So don't worry yourself, Ruth. Stay still. Stay still. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word and your nuggets through your word and on this platform. I pray that you continue to bless Every single person that is listening to this right now, in Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Ladies and gents, perhaps, thank you for listening to this week's Thirsty Podcast. I will see you next week right here. Bye-bye.
Hello, 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 and welcome back to this week's Thirsty Bible Group podcast. I'm your host, Twila Grace. In the month of May, we have been looking through the book of Ruth. A few weeks ago, we started with the first chapter of Ruth. And in this podcast, we are going to dive straight into the second chapter of Ruth. In case you're joining us for the very first time, I'm your host, Willa Grace, and this is the Thirsty Bible Study Group podcast. We are open to receive more ladies out there that want to thirst after God, thirst after God, and thirst after God some more. So if you know that this is you and this appeals to you, then definitely drop me a message at thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com. That's thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com. Now, in case you're wondering, why on earth call a Bible study group thirsty? And again, for those of you who are joining for the very first time, the testimony is that one time while I was in Spain, God said, I need you to start up a group called Thirsty. And I, I too asked the same question, why thirsty? And the word thirsty is an acronym for trust him in spite of regardless still trust Yahweh and as he broke down the vision he basically said thirsty is a platform a place where women will come and exchange their thirst for the things of the world or the things that they think they need for me and what a powerful revelation that was and to be honest that has blessed me and a few other ladies so once again Welcome to this podcast, the Thirsty Bible Group podcast. You can catch it every Wednesday. There's new content, whether you're listening on Anchor or Spotify or the other platforms that are available. But if you are a lady listening to this, then I encourage you to definitely write to us. Let us know how the podcast is reaching you. And you can definitely send me an email at thirstybiblegroup at gmail.com. But without further ado, in the month of May, as I said, we are getting ready, preparing ourselves, positioning ourselves for June and the rest of the year 2020, because we believe that God has a beautiful place for us to step into, a beautiful season. And in order for us to prepare and position, we need to go into the word of God and see what it's saying to us and what we need to do to make the necessary adjustments that we need to make in this season. So with the leading of the Holy Spirit throughout the month of May, we've been studying the book of Ruth. And if you missed the first chapter, then I encourage you to go back and have a little look and find out what we learned in Ruth chapter 1. But today, we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2. So before I go into Ruth chapter 2, why don't we just bow our heads and just pray. Father, I thank you for this day is the day that you have made. Anoint my mouth that I may speak nothing but your very word. Nothing but your very word that brings life 
through your people, life to your people, and life for your people. Father God, I pray as I speak that this word will indeed bless me as well. Do not leave me out of what you have for your people today in Jesus' mighty name. Let there be an opening of the heart, an opening of the spirit, an opening of the mind, and an opening of the eyes that your people would receive that which you have for them today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, grab your Bible, grab your favorite drink, and let God minister to you as we dive into the Word. So if you're joining us for the first time or returning from the last uh, week's podcast, what I'm going to do is read through the book of Ruth, the whole story. So why don't you turn to the book of Ruth chapter 2, we'll read it through together. Then we'll look at a few key words that we looked at last last time we were together in chapter 1, because these are the key words we still need as we go along the way to learn about what it is God wants us to learn. We'll also look at a few key words in Ruth chapter 2, and then by the help of the Holy Spirit, be able to relate the story of Ruth and the whole scene to what God wants to say to you and I today. So are you ready? You got your Bible? Okay, right, here we go. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. A mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field where the reapers and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Who was the king who was the kindred of Elimelech? And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish whip damsel that came back from Naomi with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and have continued even from morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that that let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessel and drink of that which the young men had drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thy eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Paul 
was answered and said unto her, If ha- it has fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore, the Lord recompense thy work. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, Come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was rose, risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. She gleaned in the field until eve, and be out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ether of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wrotest thou? Blessed is he that did take knowledge of thee. And she said, and she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near to king unto us one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with this, his maidens, that they meet thee not in any field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Wow, 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 what a beautiful story. Take a sip of your favorite drink because we're about to dive in by looking at some keywords that we found in chapter 1 that will be relevant in chapter 2. So some of the keywords we found in chapter 1 were that the famine that was in the land was uh, a representation of the lack of God's word, the scarcity of it, and how 
people were seeking for the word of God. The place called Bethlehem Judah, the name itself means house of bread or house of food. The name Elimelech means God is king. The name Naomi means my delight. The name Mahlon means sick. The name Chilion or Kilion, however you wish to pronounce it, that name means completion, destruction, failing. And the name Ephratite meant fruitfulness. The name Orpa in the Hebrew uh, root meaning it comes from one who is fleeing foe always shows you the back of their neck. When they say you name your children wisely, this is what they mean. You begin to take shape and character off of the name that you are called, which is why Yahweh said, I want you to name this group thirsty because in spite of what people will go through, in spite of what some of these women who are coming will go through, they will learn to trust him in spite of regardless, still trust Yahweh. He is known by many other names. Dr. Tony Evans, who is one of my amazing uh, speakers, is always talking about praying the name of God. In fact, the names of God are so numerous, they go after his character. So we've got to be very careful what we name our children, what we name even our day, what we name our future, what we name our finances. It's no wonder some people are still broke because they've named their finances broke. So here we are with uh, these meanings of these names. The name Ruth means friendship and companion. The name Mara means bitterness. Those were the key words and names we learned in chapter 1 that may be very relevant as we carry on journeying into the rest of the book of Ruth. In chapter 2, we've learned some key words called kingsmen, which is an old English term to mean related, relative. So Naomi says Boaz is a near kinsman from her husband's side, related to us, meaning Naomi and Ruth. Wealth is a way that was described to or ascribed to uh, uh, to Boaz and wealth speaks of being financially well to do, financially stable but also wealth can speak about a strength and a certain type of influence over a certain type of group, people, nation but such was Boaz, wealthy in the sense of financially he had land of course, we learned that Ruth found herself working in the field of Boaz on his patch of land with other people. The capacity of Boaz was huge financially and in, in, in a, as an influencer. What we also learn is the word glean, 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 which brings me to the message for today in Ruth chapter 2. We are learning about gleaning with purpose. And we're going to learn about leaning with gleaning with purpose. Gleaning with purpose, not leaning with purpose, but rather gleaning with purpose. We're going to look at the word gleaning. What does it mean? And what does it mean to glean with purpose when we're talking about in the context of the relationship between God and us and the relationship between 
ourselves as individuals and the relationship between us and the people around us or maybe more specific the relationship between man and woman okay so it's more centered around what does the word gleaning mean and how does that reflect in our lives according to what we've read in Ruth chapter 2 in relation to our relationship with God and our relationship with others okay so the word glean when we look it up in the Hebrew form and Hebrew uh, root meaning is referring to picking something up it talks about gathering which really paints the picture of what Ruth was doing or intending to do that morning when she asked her mother-in-law let me go into the field so that I can go and glean. She wanted to go and pick something up. She wanted to go and gather something up. An interesting meaning that I found with one of the root, deeper root meanings of the word glean from the Hebrew perspective is it talks about collecting oneself. Now, I just want to marinate on that a little bit or rather let that sink into our hearts and our spirit and our souls as God begins to speak when you talk about collecting oneself this seems to suggest a state in in mind in heart where someone is shattered and broken to pieces and they've got to find a place where they need to put in the work to gather themselves together, collect themselves together. Have you ever felt a, a place in your life where you feel divided within yourself? You can't move forward because your mind is saying something else, your heart is saying something else, your spirit is saying something else. But when you're talking about gleaning in the sense of wholeness for yourself, you've got to pick yourself together, put yourself together, get yourself together, gather yourself together. That is what this is referring to. And we're, go- we, we're probably going to use that um, illustration in order to eat the word of God today in Ruth chapter 2. So just remember that when we talk about gleaning, we're talking about collecting oneself, putting in some work to put ourselves together from the brokenness of life's trials and tribulations. Because in verse 1, we in chapter 1, we know Ruth has come from a place of brokenness. She's lost her husband, whose name meant uh, sick. He died from a sickness. He lived after his name. We know that there was a famine in the land. There was the famine and they were they had to go back because now they heard that God had blessed. Uh, Naomi heard that God had blessed the land where she came from. So we're talking about, you know, having to leave the pieces that you are having to use the pieces that you have with you to pick them up, collect them and put them together, to glean, to go in the field, work on yourself, collect something, make something out of nothing. Um, So this is what we're talking about. And when we discover that uh, the other keywords we see is is the words that vocabulary that Ruth has she's talking about things like grace she's saying let me go find uh, a field I can work in where I will find grace and grace means favor charm acceptance so if you've ever been in a situation where you are not accepted 
Start to speak grace in your future and there will be people in your future that will be waiting for you to get there. So I want also to finally touch on two other keywords which I mentioned that stood out to me. The word tarry, it means to remain, to sit, to dwell. God wants you to remain. God wants you to sit. God wants you to dwell. We'll come back to that. Stranger, foreigner, in a foreign land where you were not necessarily born in. So having looked at the keywords, um, both in chapter 1 and 2, let's now look at the word of God. In chapter 2, we'll look at a few verses and I'm going to just share with you a a few things that were put on my heart that may help any woman listening to this podcast right now. In chapter 1, in in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, we see how Naomi introduces this man of wealth who she says they're related to. So we know the spotlight is on him already. In verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean. I want you to take note of what I'm about to say, which you may have heard elsewhere before. But nevertheless, when I read this story, to me, Naomi represents the Holy Spirit in this context. We're talking about gleaning with purpose. We're talking about what it means to glean. It means to collect oneself, to glean with purpose, to pick something up, make something, click, pick, pick something up. You are gleaning with purpose in your relationship with God and in your relationship with others, but also particularly in a relationship with a man and a woman. In verse 2, we see Ruth who represents you and I, We said in chapter 1, Boaz already represented God. And now we're saying, for the context of what, for the purpose of what we're speaking about, let's say Naomi represents the Holy Spirit. And you can really see this tone all the way from the beginning when Ruth, who represents us, never lets go of Naomi. Never let go of Naomi. Is God saying to you at this point, cling on to me, cling on to the Holy Spirit? In verse 2, Ruth reminds me of a conversation, constant conversation that David always had. Lord, shall I go into battle? Will I overcome? Will you come with me? He never took for granted that just because the last time God said go and fight them, that he's going to always say go and fight them. One time he might say sit down and watch, they'll fight themselves. The other time he might say take up a sword, go and engage in battle. And we see the same conversation here where Ruth is the Moabite. The Moabite is saying to Naomi, let me go into the field. There comes a point in our lives when we feel that we should go be set free to do certain things but you can't do that without asking the holy spirit shall i go getting his approval and what we see there is ruth being told by her mother-in-law go my daughter she has the blessing 
But an important aspect of what I want you to pay attention to, ladies, in Ruth chapter 2 verse 2, is the name that she calls her day. She wants to go out in the field, but she calls her day graceful, graced, favored. Because she says she wants to go in the field and glean in the field of him whose sight she will find. It wasn't a question of I will, I may be. She spoke grace into her future before she left her front door of the house. I wonder, is God drawing your attention, my attention to Ruth chapter 2 verse 2 for us to become women like Ruth? who will speak into our future what it is that we want to see when we are going out there to pick ourselves up to pick the broken parts broken pieces parts that never worked and parts that fell apart here and there but god is still saying what are you going to name your day are you going to call it favor because you will reap what it is that you speak out we go to verse 5 of the same chapter. Then Boaz said unto the servant, Whose damsel is this? When you speak greatness into your day, you automatically orchestrate an atmosphere where you will be recognized when you get there. The Bible says that a man's gift will make room for him. You, you, your gift may be your prof, your prophetic uh, calling, your gift may be your talent, your gift, but whatever it is, you, you, you will be celebrated when you get there. And I really see that because Ruth, a representation of you and I, shows us a perfect example of what we ought to be speaking regardless of where we came from, regardless of what our chapter one looks like, regardless of whether we were married to something, a vision that fell sick and died, regardless of whether we had a relationship that fell sick and died, regardless of whether you were in a job that fell sick and died, regardless of what your chapter one looked like, what are you speaking about you in chapter two? because what you speak about you in chapter 2 will surely come to pass and as we see Boaz who represents God recognizes faith when you stand up and say God I believe that I will find I am highly favored by you God says whose girl is that he recognizes that because he he recognizes that you understand that surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life he understands that you finally understand that the Lord has got good thoughts towards you thoughts to prosper you and to give you an expected end so you get his attention he you get his attention and that's the spiritual uh, relationship or metaphor to what we just read now but also I think in the physical when you speak good stuff about your day you speak favor you begin to attract favor you begin to attract people to say wow whose damsel is that I wonder today I want to speak to the Ruth of this generation and when I say the Ruth of this generation I'm not talking about your birth name your birth 
certificate being Ruth. It could say Margaret or Moape for all I care. But what I'm saying to you is that if you are a person, a lady, a woman who God is calling to work and tweak on a few things in your character so that you, you migrate from being an opera who's always uh, making people see the back of your neck to being a Ruth who has pure companionship and friendship and sticks around, cleaves and stays right there. I need you to understand that perhaps God is saying to you, speak positive into your day so that you would be recognized, you would be spotted, you would be not for the sake of being spotted, but simply for the purpose of getting to where you need to get to, where God has purposed for you to get to. In verse 7, we see that she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Remember I said God wants you to stay. God wants you to remain. God wants you to sit. God wants you to dwell. That's what the word tarry means. This is the person who was the head of the reapers who was now letting Boaz know the conversation that had happened. This was Ruth saying, let me stay, let me glean in this field. And he was sharing with him that she had been there since morning until now, which my assumption would say it was evening. So the girl was hard working. She put in some work. You see, if in this season you're going to glean on your personal self, if in this season you're going to glean, which by the way means to collect oneself, pick up pieces, pick up from where you your dreams died, pick up from where you left lost hope, if in this season you're going to pick yourself up and collect yourself together, put yourself together, you must understand that it is not going to happen uh, after a few minutes, it's going to take whole day for some of you it might take a whole year for some of you it might take more than a year but all I know is whatever amount of work Ruth had to put in that day cost her a whole day she left her house in the morning and was still gleaning by the evening that was the report and apparently not apparently the report goes that she tarried in the house for a little the house here represents the house of God you're not going to be able to glean on yourself without remaining in the house of God you won't be able to glean on picking the things that were broken and dreams visions relationships moving on and you're not going to be able to do that until you remain in the house a little you've got to learn how to remain in the house a little you know when you're watching Lewis uh, Hamilton and uh, all of his guys on the track one thing that they do is they have to come back to their stations and get their cars pumped with air and checked and serviced and off they go remain in the house a little when you're in the field working learn to pick up your word study it for a bit pray a little that is how you remain in the house
else. That's what will sustain you out in the field as you work. What does it mean in the context of the relationships around us? How can you remain in the house a little? When you are in any type of a relationship, mother to daughter, daughter to son, friendship, every relationship requires you to put in some work. The only time you will not need to put in work in a relationship is when you die or the relationship dies. I remember one time I was back home in Zambia and uh, I heard a message from Pastor Trollwe and uh, one of the things he had said that I'll never forget is a relationship dies because people made vows on their wedding day and said till death do us part and he mentioned how interesting death the enemy sometimes will bring death to a relationship by the lack of communication and people say that vow not understanding that death doesn't necessarily mean the death uh, in the sense of uh, you know somebody stops to exist but two people can be alive 40 years 50 years married and for the last 30 years their relationship and marriage has been dead due to the lack of communication and i i just i find that very interesting because when she was working in the field she works the whole day Anything that is going to be of any value to you, you're going to need to work at. It's never going to drop on your laps. It's never going to just come. And a great sign of maturity is being able to work at something, work on something. Even in the physical, as a child, the only time you get fed is when you are a child. You get... The more you grow, responsibility for growth and working on something comes about. So we're talking about gleaning with purpose, gleaning with purpose. So now we're going to step into uh, the, the real essence of today's topic. In nine, it says, let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap and grow thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they should not touch thee? And when thou artest a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of which the young men draweth. And in eleven, and Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and mother and the land of thy nativity, and, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. And the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord of Israel, under whose wings thou hast come to trust. Ladies, what verse 9 is referring to is how when you work in a field, that is going to be in alignment with the purpose God has for you, you will not be abused. Now, I specifically want to talk about the context of a relationship between a man and a woman. I strongly believe that Ruth chapter 2 verse 9 when Boaz is trying to make sure that Ruth understands what he's communicating with her, that he has charged the young men 
that they should not touch thee. And when she's thirsty, she should go to the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. God wants to protect every woman from getting into uh, situations or fields where they are working and they begin to be taken advantage of. He wants you to tarry in his house, remain in his house, in a field where he has commanded that no harm come to you, that nothing comes to you. So when we talk about gleaning with purpose, we're talking about the confession that we made in the morning of the day, of the year, of our lives. What kind of confession have we made? If we make the confession, I'm going to find a field where I will find favor, then that will be your portion. Then that will be your portion. Then that will be your portion. But if your confession is negative, it's no wonder we keep finding ourselves gleaning in fields that we are not supposed to be in in the first place. We are not supposed to be in those places in the first place. Gleaning with purpose, finding your purpose in life, finding that which God wants you to engage in and leaving the things that he doesn't want you to engage in. I wonder what that is for you today. I know what mine is. I wonder what that is for you today. Have you ever asked yourself this question? The field that I'm in, the field that I'm putting on the work, the field that I'm spending from morning to evening, is this where God wants me to be? That field could be your job, your workplace. It could be the degree, the the master's program you're doing. It could be the relationship that you're in. It could be whatever it is that you feel God is drawing your attention to say, look, the field that you're in, will either cause young men to take advantage of you or if you are right in the middle of my will for your life there are certain boundaries that i have put that nobody can touch and in this case we see how boaz says don't go to another field stay in this field to the point when when you are thirsty you will be fed by the very When you're thirsty, you'll be given water to drink by these men. That's the commandment he's given them. In 11, which I've already read to you, Boaz is um, letting uh, Ruth know that he knows about the works that she has done. I pray, ladies, that the next place you go to, that your, your name will... The good things about your name will overtake you. That the shame and the pain and the gossip and the backbiting that may have been in the past will no longer follow you. But that you will experience favor in the lands that you're going into, in the field that you're going into. That good things will overtake you. That the good things, the good seed that you have sown into people in the past will be what overtakes you. And people will speak of good about you. Because this is exactly what happened with Ruth. She didn't have to introduce herself. But in, 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 
in another aspect, in another way. She was being told of what other people already were saying in the country, in the land. But for those of us who have had people say all negative stuff about, I want you to find encouragement that even Jesus Christ was talked about negatively. So who are you to not have that experience? But thank God for the good things that we have done that will go before us in this season. I love how Boaz blessed Ruth and said, The Lord recompense thy work. Sometimes you have to understand that the good that you've sown in people, no man can ever repay you but God himself, the God of Israel. But we need to learn how to trust him. Trust him in the season of brokenness. Trust him in the season where you are in the field gleaning, picking yourself up, collecting all the broken parts, making sure that your chapter two doesn't look anything like your chapter one and that your chapter one was a stepping stone into chapter two and you begin to look forward to what chapter three and four looks like and you begin to look forward to the lineage that will come out of you. The, the, the businesses that will come out of you, the progress that you will come out of you, what you will birth as a result of the, the previous chapters. Because the things that have, have made you today are the things that you have been through. They, they govern how you think, how you talk, and how you speak. And those are the very things that God is speaking to to try and see where things need to be remade and reshaped. I pray that you will be invited to a dinner just as Ruth was invited by Boaz. And it says that when he gave her food, she was satisfied. She was satisfied to the point where she left enough for her mother-in-law who was back at home. And later on, when she went home that day, she went home with so much, so much that her mother-in-law had to ask, where did you work today? Who is it that showed you kindness? So I pray in the name of Jesus that for any woman that might be listening to this, that may have experienced a heartbreak, a disappointment, of any type, shape, or form, whether it be in a place of uh, a job or a relationship, whether it's family relation, relationships or um, a, a, a relationship with your other half, I pray that only you will be able to open your eyes and see that only God will be able to heal every brokenness and recompense all the things that have been sown, that you have sown, that you have, that God will repay you. Let him be the one to repay you. That when you step into your house one day, you will have fullness in the area that you may seem to be lacking right now. That one day you will be met with an opportunity that will say, give me your skirt and let me pour. 
let me pour into what you have lost. Give me your bank account and let me pour into what you have lost. Give me your uh, your CV and let me pour into what you have lost. Give me your broken heart and let me pour into what you have lost. But all of this has to start from tarrying in the house. The Bible says that, you know, um, you, uh, you have to go after God first and everything else will follow. If Boaz is a representation of God, Ruth is a representation of you and I, and Naomi is a representation of the Holy Spirit, it's no wonder that Ruth was able to be full and satisfied because she ate what Boaz gave her. You will only be satisfied when you eat of what God has given you as a woman. And when God gives you Oh boy, you're in for a treat. You are in for a treat. You are in for a treat. In conclusion of gleaning with purpose, I want to look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. The Bible says, And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with these maidens, that they meet thee not in any field. So keep fast by thy maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Find the field where God wants you to be and glean there. Do not glean in any other field. Glean in the field where God wants you to be. If you do not know what field this is, ask him, God, what field should I be in? The field here represents the area in which you have to pick yourself up. The area in which you have to collect yourself. Some people have faced job disappointments in this season. And that's where the hurt is. Ask God in this season. God, I have been hurting when it comes to a job, my career. What is the field that I should go and work in to gather myself? Because when you glean with purpose, ladies, what I need you to understand, which, which is what I'm understanding now, is that when I glean in my field of purpose, I'm functioning in the area and I'm exactly where God wants me to be. That's where there is safety. That's where no man can abuse or mistreat my gifting because in that place is safety. When I thirst in that place, there's enough water that has been drawn to quench my thirst. So what field does God want you to be in? Your field today may be finances that you're hurting. You made some poor financial judgments. What is God saying to you? Your field may be a relationship. You made a poor choice. What is God saying to you? In 23, to conclude, Ruth stayed where she was told to stay until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. Most people don't know how to stay till the end. They don't know how to stay to, 
to endure the, the harvest season. You see, we usually give up when we're about to harvest. We stayed in the season when we were toiling, uh, plowing the land. The rain came, we had to pause, we went out when it stopped raining, we put the seed in, and now it's time for harvest, and people are letting go, and walking out, and walking away. But I see a pattern, how God always blesses those who stay till the end. Job stayed till the end, despite his critiques, including his wife. Stayed till the end, he got a double portion, greater than one than before. Elisha stayed till the end. He was able to get Elijah's um, blessing because he stayed till the end. Jesus stayed till the very end, which is why you and I can enjoy salvation. I wonder which part of the field, which part of the harvest, which, which is the end that God wants you to endure and persevere through. Because what happens is when you stay till the end, God will reward you. Maybe not halfway through because he's a God who finishes what he started. So I want to pray over every woman who is listening to this podcast and say, Ruth, stay till the end. Ruth, Find the field that God wants you to glean in and pick yourself up. Glean in that field. Be fruitful in that field. In that field alone, stay and let God be the one to repay you for that which you lost in chapter 1. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every woman that tuned into this podcast. I pray you will open their eyes to see exactly where they can glean in the field and be fruitful. Help them to glean in their field with purpose, whatever their field may be. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you share this podcast with your other ladies in your WhatsApp, email, or Facebook But for now, this is Twila Grace. I love you and see you next time. Bye-bye.